Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of PASFML, the only podcast run by an actual, real-life, recent PA student. That's me. I'm your host, PAK, and today's episode, we're going to do one big thing and one little thing. Uh, so it's actually been a while since I last checked in with you, so I'm going to give you a quick update on what that's been about, and then we're going to get right into things I wish I had known, the clinical years. Uh, so let's get going. So last time I left you, I had just taken the boards like a day or two beforehand. And I think I had even in post-production, it had been, it took me like a couple days to get that episode out. Uh, and in that time, I had heard from my study buddies that they had passed the boards. So I was really hopeful. Uh, and I even shared that there was a rumor that the boards people only put out whether or not you pass the boards on like Mondays and Thursdays. So I wasn't expecting to hear for like, I don't know, 10 days just based on when I had taken it. But I got lucky in that the Monday that I, the like the Monday that I should have found out was a holiday. And so they ended up releasing scores on a Tuesday, which for me was exactly one week to the day that I had taken the boards. So I wasn't expecting to find out because I was like, well, well, Monday's a holiday and that's less than a week anyway. So I'll just wait until I hear on Thursday. Um, but I found out exactly a week, a week to the day, um, because I guess, I don't know, go Labor Day. That's, that's what I have to, to base it on. And you can maybe already tell because I'm not crying and eating ice cream. Well, maybe I'm eating ice cream, but I'm not crying uh, that I passed. I passed the boards. So I feel like that gives some credibility, some credibility to my previous episode, uh, where I totally gave out unsolicited advice on how to study for the boards. Um, not necessarily what you should study, because that's not a thing. Um, but how you should study. So go listen to that. Because now that I've actually passed the boards, I can tell you that apparently my plan of attack um, which I shared with you all, was enough to do the thing. And actually, the cool thing about uh, finding out when you pass the boards is they give you actually a, a way more detailed like printout of kind of general topics that you got wrong. Um, so that's I was totally not expecting that at all. I was expecting just like a thumbs up, thumbs down kind of a thing. But not only do they give you a printout of some of the um, like medical topics that you got wrong. So duh, you should go back and study those, uh, i.e. PAK, like preaching to the choir here. I definitely should go back and study that. Um, but then they also give you kind of like your your raw score-ish or weighted score, whatever, Um and no, it's not weighted. It's like a raw score. But anyway, they tell you like how far off the average you were. And they, for those of us who are, who are visual learners, they even put it on like a little graph for you. So you can see where people who took the test on your day fell and how you compared to the average. Uh, so anyway, that was really cool. I was, I actually took more time than I thought looking over my, um, like report that was generated again, rather than just pass fail. Um, so that was cool. So I passed 
and that's exciting. Um, and that's part of the reason why I've been totally MIA because I just had to, I just needed time to just completely defrag after that. And it was really weird. And I don't know if anyone who's been through PA school or grad school or what similarly stressful time in their life, but I absolutely had like the, like the dopamine letdown, um, phenomenon after that, like after I took the boards, I just I just like sat on the couch and did absolutely nothing for a solid two to three days. And I was kind of like bummed out too. And I, I don't get bummed out too terribly often, like anxiety ridden. Yeah, absolutely. I can flip a switch and I've got no problem doing that. But I, I don't get bummed out too easily. And it was just weird that I just like, I, I was just numb. I just like I didn't care to sit on the couch and just watch binge watch all the Netflix or Hulu or whatever it was that I was into at the time. I just sat and I didn't have a desire to do anything. I don't know. Maybe calling it bummed out is the wrong way to describe it. It's not like I was like sad and crying, but I just like I just honestly did ap didn't care. Apathetic. That's probably the best way to describe it. I was just totally apathetic and being seriously apathetic lasted maybe like two days, two, three days. Um, and then it, and then it kind of turned a corner and I started to get better. Um, and then by about like a week later, I was probably back to my normal self. And I don't know, maybe this is part of just me because I'm kind of all over the place with my emotions sometime, or I don't know, I'm over 30. And so my body, things just affect me more than when I was like 22. Um, I've, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but, you know, whatever. This is my podcast, so I get to share what I feel like sharing. <laughs> so that's what happened to me. Um, and I feel like I talked to maybe another classmate or two of mine who absolutely echoed the fact that they just sat on the couch for a few days afterwards. And um, I kind of experienced some of that while I was in PA school, like, you know, you'd cram for a test. I mean, as much as you could cram for a test, go back and listen to my earlier podcast. Like, that's not a thing. Um, but, you know, you like after a huge exam would come and go, like I would get sick like that night or the next day. And I talked to a ton of my classmates who had similar things. And I remember hearing anecdotally from practitioners and other people who've been through it that, you know, when you're stressed out, your body releases a whole, a whole bunch of cortisol and you just get ramped up. Um, and then after you do the thing, after you take a test or you take the boards or whatever, after you hurdle the hurdle, um, then your body just completely lets down and you end up going into like some like reverse reverse surge. I don't know, a crash? I guess that's what you would call it. You go, you go into like a crash. Um, and so everything just kind of like plummets um, and you can get sick because of that, like like things that were maybe try previously trying to get you that your body was keeping it by at bay when you let all your defenses down. Now, all of a sudden you're sick. Um, I don't know. Anecdotally, this is what I've heard and I can't, I haven't looked into it, but I, it seems to totally go along with my experience with not every test, duh, but, um, a, a lot a lot of tests or I would just like sleep for 17 hours the next day and be like Jesus I I obviously needed that like but how but like I couldn't sleep the night before and duh because my cortisol is probably through the roof um so anyway 
uh, I, I wasn't surprised to have that reaction that I did to taking the boards. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it was fine because it's not like I had a job to go to or anything. So I just like sat on the couch. And again, thankfully, uh, I have a partner who went through medical training. And so he was just like, yeah, sit on the couch, do your thing, babe, like whatever you need, I'll, I'll be around. And he would go to work or on his days off, we would just sit and be bumps on a log together. And it was great. Um, so anyway, so that's uh, my experience of taking the boards, which I passed, just to reiterate, thank you very much. Um, and then I went on vacation. And that's awesome. And I highly recommend it. And a ton of my classmates actually ended up going on vacation as well. And I highly recommend that you do that um, or, or do a staycation because nobody has any money slash maybe if you were wiser than I, you were much better at pinching your pennies. Um, and so you had some moolah left over, um, but, you, you know, to go on vacation with. Um, but that's a real thing. Like craziest thing about graduating PA school is that if you were like me, and ended up taking out student loans, My the last time I had any money deposited into my account was May of, this, of my graduation year. So we graduate in August. And it's not like you graduate grad school in August, and then next week, the financial aid department is like, here you go, here's a little seed money, because we know it takes three months to get a job. That's not a thing. You just graduate and you get your diploma and they're like, well, we fulfilled our end of the bargain. Uh, good luck. And and then you just and then that's it. So like the last time I had any income into that account, into my banking account was three months earlier. Um, and in previous years, when you're still in school, you get another financial aid disbursement in August. Uh, so. I don't know, maybe I, I probably could have foreseen that, but there were a lot of things that I should have foreseen. Um, I mean, I guess I kindly kind of foresaw it. Um, but similarly, throughout the rest of just as in the rest of PA school, it was it was a problem for future me to deal with. Because um, there were just too many, there was just too many balls in the air. I mean, it was like, it was graduation week, I had a shit ton of stuff going on. And like, and I have, you know, had just had to finish all the paperwork for my previous rotation and parents in town and friends were in town and airport pickups and where are you going to stay this week? And, oh, I mean, there was a lot, there was a lot going on. Uh, so again, it was one of those things where I was like, well, future me will deal with it. Um, and future me is dealing with it by asking my parents for money. And I know that not everyone can do that. And I am so incredibly lucky that they continue to support me in ways that they can. I mean, so, so, so grateful. Um, but my other plan of attack is that I have my previous uh, graduate degree that I can try to get a job at. Not that I necessarily want to, but it's only temporary. Um, so I can do that. And I'm also fortunate that <clears throat> I have that job to fall back on um, because I think alternatively, I mean, if you're looking to make some money before your before you get a new job, before you get a, your first PA job, I mean, you're pretty much relegated to, I mean, things like 
you know, th- things that don't require degrees for. So, I mean, name anything. I don't know if you're good at fixing cars. Maybe you can help out at a mechanic shop or something. Or, yeah, I mean, there's got to be something, you know, that everybody's good at. And, um, I know Uber uh, driving and Uber Eats have been favorites um, for my classmates. Some, same with like Postmates and um, what's that grocery shopping app? The one with the green, their green, their green logo. And their Instacart, Instacart, yes. Uh, that and like Rover, the dog walking thing. Um, so th- those kind of things that don't like require a- degrees for um, that you can just kind of do whenever you want, whenever it fits into your schedule. Um, those are some of the things that my classmates are doing. Um, and they've had good luck um, with being able to get some sort of an income while they are waiting for a job to show up. Uh, and similarly, um, I haven't done any of those things. So uh, meaning I have not signed up for any of those things. I'm trying instead to use my former degree and get like a PRN shift um, somewhere. So like people who are um, CNAs beforehand, I don't know if you can get PRN work, but, you know, things like that, like in a, I don't know, can you do like PRN scribe? Is that a thing? I have no idea. Um, but anyway, people, uh, people with former, um, like medical certificates, you might be able to fall back on that. So, um, that's kind of wrapped into my advice of whatever medical certificates you had going into PA school, you should absolutely keep those medical certificates. Uh, I considered briefly not re-upping my uh, license for the career that I had before I did PA school. And I am so thankful, so, 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 so thankful that I decided to pay the money and re-upped my um, credentialing. Um, for another year because that's fantastic because I do not know how long it will be until I get a PA job Um, which is kind of where this rambling is turning into slash this is where I will end with this ramble Um, but one of the reasons why I decided to do (laughs) record this episode today is I felt like the universe was nudging me a little bit because I woke up this morning and checked just on a whim to see if my state licensure had come through and it absolutely had which is totally crazy because I checked last night because last night was a Friday night and I was like well just one last hurrah just in case and of course it had to come through so I don't even know why I checked on a Saturday morning but I did and it had absolutely come through between last night and this morning so as of this morning I am legitimately licensed as a PA as well uh, in my state. So I've, I've passed the board. So that gives me the PA-C, C for certified. Um, so PAC are my credentials. And I'm licensed in my state, which means I can get a job, um, which is awesome, obviously, because I have student loans to pay. And also, I want to be a PA. I want to work. Um, so that's awesome. Now, I don't know if that actually puts me ahead in terms of other applicants for any job that I'm trying to get, because uh, the area that I live is super saturated with providers. And I I don't know, I've probably sent out maybe between 40 and 50 applications at this point. And I mean, I only I really only had like, I don't know, we graduated in August and then I went on vacation and then like a month later. So I've really only been at this job application thing for really about 
five to six weeks. And I've already sent out, again, 40 to 50 applications. Um, and the the thing that I'm hearing from the people who get back to me, which, by the way, is probably only like 5% of the people that I've actually heard – that I've applied to, I've heard back something from – um, they have all gotten back to me and everybody wants this magical number of like 12 months experience and everybody wants it in something like family medicine, urgent care, or emergency medicine. Nobody's getting back to me saying like, well, thanks for applying, but we really want to see orthopedic surgery for a year and then we'll consider, um, hiring you on. So that's a little unfortunate. And I think well, I know that classmates of mine who got jobs either while we were still in school or right after, most of them came because they were on rotations um, or they came from rotations that they had done. So that's a thing. Um, so I'm just a little unfortunate in that I couldn't get all of my rotations in the exact area that I want. Again, because the, the location that I am is super saturated. There's uh, a couple big PA programs in the area. And me having gone across state lines to get my PA degree, I mean, I, I don't know, it's, but it's just my perception that my degree from an out-of-state school maybe isn't carrying as much weight as the local schools do. Now, nobody's told me that. I've not heard that. That's just me in my brain and probably my brain telling me lies. Um, but that's what that's what I'm worried about. It's probably more likely that I that I didn't have a rotation here and I didn't make contacts that way because it's, it's largely who you know. Uh, and this was for my formal medical um, degree also. The, my previous career was absolutely who I knew. Um, like that first job, the first job I ever got in my previous career, I I got through a headhunting company because I was 24 and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I settled for a laughable amount of money. But, you know, whatever. I was 24. I had no idea, no idea what I was doing. Um, so I got – but I got a job. And, and then after that, it was all contacts, almost all contacts. I think I got in – in my 10, 11-year career, I think I maybe had – two to three positions where I didn't know anyone there and I just like was looking on the internet. Um, but I've had like 15 jobs um, before I did PA school and only two or three of them were non-personal contacts people. So my suspicion is that being a PA might be similar, um, but we'll see. I don't have a job right now um, and that's annoying, but uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to use my former career to bring some income into my life because uh, it's because it's getting dire. Um, so anyway, that's what I've been up to. It's been boring and, and dull and looking for a job really is absolutely a full time job. Like I literally I sit at the computer for like six to eight hours daily and I Google like healthcare facilities nearby, hospitals nearby, skilled nursing facilities nearby. I just randomly Google things and try to go to their career page and see what they have. Obviously, and that's in addition to like the things like Glassdoor, uh, Indeed, and ZipRecruiter. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I guess stay posted and see when I get a job. But for right now, I don't have one. Um, 
But let's get in and talk about um, probably why you're actually here for this uh, episode, and that is Things I Wish I Had Known, The Clinical Year. All right, so Things I Wish I Had Known, Clinical Year. And I'm going to start by with something that my program was really good about instilling in us, meaning they probably brought it up every single time they talked about clinical year, which was like a year and a half before we even did it. They mentioned this, and that is your job as a clinical PA student out on clinical year is essentially to be to be the yes man or the yes ma'am. That's your job. And they would say essentially that that just means that if somebody walked into the room and said, oh my God, there's the biggest bleeding hemorrhoid I've ever seen. And I need somebody to stick their finger up this patient's, patient's asshole. Who wants to do it? You need to stand up and with a smile on your face, say that you would love that opportunity to help that patient. You need to be the first one at the front of the line to be the let me stick my finger in somebody's asshole line. That's what you need. A- anything. Any. Obviously, my faculty didn't say it like that. Are you kidding me? They were super PC about it and totally normal. Um, but it's, that's how, I mean, that's how I took it. Like, well, I got to stick my finger in people's butts, which, of course, by the way, happens all the time um, uh, for like for like bleeding stuff, but also like prostate exams, even though the new teachings are that you don't really need to do that anymore. I I don't know. I rotated with a whole bunch of old school doctors and they just loved feeling the prostate. Um, so anyway, so I, I do that for, you know, shock value to make my point, but like whatever is going on in the, in the room next door that somebody and somebody says, Hey, who wants to do this? Your answer is, Yes, please. I'd love to learn how to do that. Um, and if you don't know how to do it, you know, this is not the time to just like have blind egos. Like that's not a thing. Um, there were a lot of times, you know, cause like your rotations don't necessarily know what you did or didn't do before you come in there. I mean, yeah, maybe they asked you like, give me a general synopsis of like where you're at and what you know and what you don't know and what you want to learn. Um, and what you feel you've, you know, maybe kind of mastered at this point, which I don't, truthfully, I don't think that's the answer to anything. You could always benefit from doing something again. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of times there was, uh, there was an offer of, Hey, I need somebody to do this. And like, I'd never done that. And by the way, I was terrified to do that because I don't know how to hold the instrument or like, what word did you just say? I don't even know how to pronounce that. Um, there were a lot of times when I was like, well, I don't even know what that is. Um, and my kind of canned response was, um, I'd love to do that, but, um, if you, if you can help me talk me through it. Um, and, and I found that that went over well with pretty much every time I, every time I used it. Um, and the example that's coming to mind is I, what somebody came in the room, the nurse came in the room and I was, and was like, oh, I need to put the Foley catheter in this patient. And my preceptor was like, oh, here, here's my student. Why don't you let her do it? And so like, and I had just, I had not even met that nurse. I literally just met that nurse when she walked through the door that second. And here's my preceptor being like, oh, like, I mean, not handing me off to the nurse, but like, yeah, kind of handing me off to the nurse being like, oh, here's my student. Student, would you like to 
put this Foley catheter in this man? And my answer was, of course, absolutely. But I've, I've never done one. So why don't you talk me through it? And everybody was always happy to stand with me and talk me through it. And there were different levels of talk me through it that I needed, depending on what I was doing. Um, and the Foley catheter was one of them where I was, where I was like, literally every single step of the way, um, I will be more successful if you provide me with more information than you think is necessary. And I think I even said it like that, like to be most successful for this, it would be beneficial if you gave me more instruction than you think is necessary, because this is the first time I've done it and I want to make sure I do it right. Um, and everybody, I don't know, everybody just was totally happy to do that. And I'll tell you the level of instruction that this, this nurse gave me to put in a Foley catheter into this very flaccid penis, um, was a hundred percent exactly what I needed. It was not superfluous information. I told her to give me more information than she thought I needed. And turns it turns out that was exactly the right amount of information. Um, because in, in a Foley catheter insertion, you always have to keep one hand sterile. Um, and, and then one hand is your dirty hand. So you can't just be like shoving germs into like a urethra. Like that's not a thing. So it was more complicated than some other like here, just put your finger in this butthole. Um, but you know, it wasn't impossible by any means, but I needed someone to talk me through it. <clears throat> so that was kind of my catch all go-to phrase, um, for when somebody came into the room and said, Hey, I need somebody to do this thing. My answer was your answer, which my, again, my program totally primed us for your answer are you need to be the first one standing and smiling and say, yes, I would love to do that. Um, and then my addition to it is they will assume maybe, maybe your preceptor who are, or whoever is asking a question might assume that you're totally independent in doing whatever that thing is. Um, and if you are great, go for it. Like there was, there came a time when I didn't necessarily need anybody to show me how to inject lidocaine, um, into an open wound after the, after 15 times, I felt confident in doing it, but yes, it took 15 times. Um, and so after a while I, I didn't need to say that thing anymore, but at first I absolutely did the whole, yeah. Um, but, but I've only done, you know, one or whatever. I've only done two. Um, I've done none. Can you stand here um, and talk me through it? And again, every everybody that I met was more than happy to do that uh, for me. So, um, you know, that's that's that whole like leave your ego at the door. If you are worried about killing someone or at least or harming someone, there's an easy way around that. Uh, leave your ego at the door. Ask questions. Ask for assistance ask for instruction, fall back on the expertise around you. And just because you've done something once one way, or maybe 20 times one way with one provider, and then you change locations and you've got somebody else standing over your shoulder, well, maybe they've got a really cool way to do the thing. Um, and so ask them, say, yeah, well, you know, I've, I've done this 20 times at my urgent care, but I've, I've not done this, um, in primary care. And so we don't have all the things or whatever. Um, so, you know, could you, 
could you watch um, and give me any pointers? So basically, everybody loves everybody loves it when you are an interested, eager learner. But there's a fine line between interested and eager um, and a know-it-all. And anyway, I personally feel that I navigated that line pretty well by being, yes, I want to do that thing. And don't, yes, I'm not trying to be, I mean, I'm trying to be a little dramatic. I'm like, it's not all about fingers and buttholes and things in people's urethras. Um, like there's LPs that you get to do, um, intubation even, um, a CPR. So like, and like those things are cool. If, if you ask for them or if somebody comes into the room and says, Hey, I need somebody to help me do this. Um, so it's, it's not all gross, dramatic things. Um, I mean, some things are dramatic, but it's not, it's not all fingers and buttholes. Um, so there's legitimate stuff that goes on. Um, and that's cool. And so being an eager, interested, yes, man, or yes, ma'am, uh, is absolutely, absolutely your role. And then asterisks, just try to keep your ego out of it. And if somebody wants to show you for the 19th time how they do this thing, your job is to smile and say, that that sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and that kind of morphs into the second thing that I wish I would have known earlier into my clinical year. Um, so something that my program did not tell me, but I, I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't, I should have known this. Um, but that is you are low man on the totem pole, teeny, teeny, tiny way down there, like below the medical interns, even like, and maybe you're barely above the medical students, but you are so low on the totem pole that you, you just have to bend over and take whatever's coming to you and then ask for more. And that's from what I understand from talking to my classmates and people who've been through like med school, that's just kind of how it is. And it's changing, thankfully, um, albeit slowly and parts of the country are changing faster than others. Um, but I incorrectly thought that I would be treated um, a little bit more like the autonomous adult professional that I had been used to being seen as. Um, and don't get me wrong, during didactic year, much of that was swept out from under my feet. But for some reason, I thought that like being back out in the clinic, I would have some sort of um, I don't, I don't know that I would, I would be, regain a little bit of my respect that I thought I was owed. Um, and that really wasn't the case. And I don't mean to say that I was out there being completely disrespected. That's absolutely not the case. That's not what I mean at all. Um, but you're just, you're a low man on the totem pole. You know, when somebody, when somebody switches a shift on you because life happens, I mean, like, and you were supposed to have dinner plans or you're supposed to whatever, or you're cousin's birthday party or who like whatever it is like you don't like winding is not going to do anything about it you take this schedule change and that's it you know when you show up to work and or clinic or whatever 
and your preceptor isn't there, you don't get to go home. I mean, maybe you do like, but I never got to go home. I would sign in and like the clinical coordinator was like, oh, but we've got you with this other PA. Or I had an entire rotation um, where my preceptor only worked four days a week. And I erroneously thought that that meant I would only be working four days a week. That's not the case at all. They just, they just put me with um, their colleague um, and I ended up working five days a week. And again, there's no amount of whining, complaining, or, I mean, you can whine and complain to your friends all you want and classmates all you want, but there's, there's no room for you to, you know, bring it up to your preceptor or the clinic manager and be like, well, my preceptor only works four days a week or whatever. My preceptor is not here today. Can I just go home? That's not a thing. You smile and you accept whatever your fate has come to be for that time period. Um, and again, maybe you learned this in didactic year. I kind of learned it in didactic year. And again, I don't know why I thought it would be different in clinical year, um, but it just wasn't. Your job is to just smile. And this this advice is being directly given to you because it coordinates very nicely um, with my third piece of advice um, for things I wish I had known slash thankfully at least this next one I kind of figured out. But the reason why you smile and you say, yes, I'd love to stick my finger in somebody's asshole that I just met um, or yes, I would love to work a 12 hour shift tomorrow with your colleague, even though tomorrow is your day off. I would absolutely love to do that. Um, the reason why you smile and say, yes, what a wonderful opportunity. Thank you for thinking of me. This will surely further my education. Perfect. That's your answer. And the reason that is your answer is because every single person who's in front of you, behind you, who you barely interact with or you interact with on a daily basis, every single one of those people is a potential contact to refer you for a job. And I'm not saying that, you know, the kitchen line cook is going to write you a letter of recommendation. That's not what I mean. Obviously, the people around you who you know are might might maybe write you a letter of recommendation are, you know, your preceptors um, and their supervising physicians. Um, people that, you know, people who can attest to the fact that you were punctual and dependable and had a positive personality and, you know, were, were impressively knowledgeable but sought to expand upon your knowledge continuously. Um, which, by the way, were all things that were written about me in um, in one of my letter of recommendations, which was fantastic. Um, so again, even though I don't have a job right now, I feel like uh, I've got a lot of the I've got a lot of the pieces in order to get one. Um, and so I don't know. Maybe you'll feel like taking my advice. Um, but I got some fantastic letters of recommendation, and it was because I was the yes, ma'am for an entire year. And it got exhausting. And we're going to talk about that at the end of this. Um, but I did it for an entire year. Um, I smiled at all the right people and even at people who I barely interacted with going back to like, you know, the line, the line cook, no, the line cook is not going to write you a letter of recommendation, but you know, like if you talk to that line cook every day and you're like, man, these Brussels sprouts are fantastic. Who says that? Who eats Brussels? I mean, I eat Brussels sprouts, but only like covered in bacon and cheese. Anyway, 
find something to talk about with people all around you. And who knows what might lead you to a job? I mean, really and truly, who knows? Maybe the line cook's got a favorite cousin out of Denver who's um, MA and they just opened up a new clinic and they're looking providers and you want to move to Denver. I mean, you truly never know. So your job is to smile and be happy and eager without a huge ego because absolutely everyone you meet is a potential source to refer you to the job of your dreams. So I don't mean to make that such a selfish statement, but that's the truth. Um, And like I just spent some time rambling about the people who had jobs from like while we were still in PA school, it was because they knew somebody and they either knew somebody like from personal like contacts outside of school or they met someone while in school on rotation and then they got a job um, opportunity because of that. So everyone, you're just, you're constantly on um, a job interview, essentially. Your clinical year is a 12 month long job interview. And yes, the line cook is someone who's potentially job interviewing you. Um, you know, the, the doorman at the hospital, potentially. Um, absolutely, absolutely everyone you go. Actually, I mean, and not even, and not even inside the clinic. Like, I signed up for gym membership when I was traveling around um, to outside the state um, that my school not only my program was located in it, it wasn't located in that state, but neither was, was my home. So I was far away from all things where I would probably get a job. And yet while I am signing up for a gym membership and the gym person was like, Hey, what are you doing here? Like, welcome aboard. And I was like, Oh, I'm only here for like six weeks. This is just, you know, clinical rotations, blah, blah, blah. And like their aunt was an ARNP at a local clinic and they were like, oh, that's too bad. You're not going to live here because like my aunt is somebody. I mean, absolutely everywhere you go, if you're like me and you talk to a lot of people, um, absolutely everyone you meet is potentially a, a somebody who can refer you for your dream job. So just be nice and smile a lot and be, be excited and be exciting Um, but keep your ego in check because there's people everywhere and you never know who you're going to fall back on. Who's going to come up nine months later saying, Oh my God, I, Hey, I, I remember you said that you've got, um, your brother who lives in Vermont. Like, can I do my, do you mind if you put me in touch with him? I would, I would love to find out, um, what job opportunities they might have over there. So, um, anyway, so that's, that's why you stand, that's why you stand. And that's why you're the first one in line to do anything and everything. That's why, um, cause you want a job at the end of this. I mean, I assume you do. Um, but finally, the last thing that I wish I had known going into clinical year was that it, it can be lonely um, traveling every six weeks. And maybe you travel even more frequently than that in your program. Maybe it's only four weeks. Um, and our program sent us across state lines. And then I'm talking like time zone state lines even. 
Uh, and I know some programs don't do that. Some programs manage to keep you all um, in the same state even, which is probably better um, in terms of like personal connections and whatnot. But like, even then my suspicion is, is that after spending, you know, 12 to 15 months, 40 hours a week with your classmates, and then just with the flip of a switch, you're off on your own. While part of that is exciting there, it's, it's jarring. And I didn't realize how lonely I would feel, was going to feel. Um, and it wasn't until my fourth rotation that I ended up sharing my loneliness with some of my friend classmates. And I don't know why I'm surprised, but they turned right around and they were like, dude, I thought I was the only one. And I was like, what? I thought I was the only one. I thought I was like going to be the sad sack here and be like, oh, I miss you guys. I'm just, you know, I'm just a little sad because I don't really know anyone and, you know, whatever. But like, it's a true thing. And then, of course, when I went back to campus and for the random times that we all had to be on campus again and mentioned it to a few others, I absolutely heard from probably half the people I talked to that they were like, oh, yeah, got seriously lonely, um, like right in the middle there. And I, I don't know if it was because maybe the newness of clinical year had worn off a little bit, like your first two rotations. I mean, I, I felt were still pretty exciting. Even like the third rotation was still pretty exciting, but by, by four, by the fourth and fifth rotation, I was, I had had enough of packing every six weeks. I had, had had enough of looking at what time zone I was and trying to figure out if my out, if my boyfriend was the same hour, an hour behind, or like three hours behind. Um, I had just gotten tired of it. I had gotten tired of living out of a suitcase. Uh, I was just over it. I was over being the new person um, in a huge hospital system or at the clinic and not knowing anyone and having to smile at everyone all the time and having to be perpetually excited and exciting and interested, I was just so done with it. And I, I thought I was the only one and I wasn't. Um, so I wish I had known that. I wish I had spoken up earlier um, because misery loves company. Uh, just like how my stress and anxiety um, podcast was, I thought I was the only one who was having like serious anxiety and anxiety panic attacks. And it wasn't until I fessed up halfway through didactic year when half of the half of my class that I spoke with also was having like panic attacks or couldn't sleep and was, you know, considering trying to get their hands on some Xanax or something. It, it was just uh, insane. And so Again, I don't know why it was surprising to me to find out that a handful of my classmates were also pretty lonely while traveling all over the place. But, you know, it, there there you have it. Still learning things, um, he, even in my infinite wisdom of being done with school. So um, and I, I suppose it's possible that our, for our rotations like four and five that were for me, some of the darker ones, more lonely ones, I should say. Um, it was also like January and February. Um, so maybe that had something to do with it as well. Um, but I was in some pretty cool locations uh, at that time. And I I don't know, maybe, who knows, maybe the weather still got to me and I just aren't recognizing it. But um, anyway, it it takes a toll on being constantly being like the smiling PA student, but 
you still have to do it. And I think connecting with your classmates or friends or family or partners and trying to schedule time to nurture your relationships. Because the great thing about clinical year is that you actually do get some of your personal life back. It is a miraculous thing. Yes, sometimes you have rotations where you're working, I don't know, 60, 70 hours a week. Um, not Obviously not all rotations. Those are like some of like the trauma surgery rotations um, and some of the inpatient hospital medicine rotations or inpatient surgery rotations pretty much sounded like they were that terrible. Neurosurgery actually sounded like it was the worst. Um, but otherwise, I mean, you know, you were working 40, 50 hours a week and you had time to do stuff. Yes, you should come home and study. Go ahead and listen to my previous episode on how you should be studying. Um, but you generally get some of your life back. And so those relationships that you kind of put on hold be them family or partners or friendships, you can you can and should turn around and start nurturing them. You should really allow yourself some time to to go to happy hour three times a week, maybe. Um, and you know, do weekend vacations. Like I went home, I think twice my clinical year. Um, I just because like I had the weekends off and it was amazing. Um, so you should honor honor the fact that traveling every four to six weeks and constantly being the new kid in town, constantly, I mean, essentially starting a new job every four to six weeks, like that's that's what you're doing, really ultimately does start taking a toll on you. Um, and so my advice would be to be extra proactive in nurturing relationships that maybe you put on the back burner, or maybe you didn't, maybe you were better than I, and you weren't as selfish as I was, and you were able to keep those uh, relationships at tip top shape. Um, but have a low threshold for getting together with friends as often as you can, or spending the money and flying to Las Vegas just because your classmate is there. And that would be fun. Um, so you should do that. And of course, getting out in the nature as often as you can, if that's your thing. Um, but it should be your thing. And if it's not your thing, I urge you to try it because nature is good for the soul. Um, so those are kind of my rambling thoughts um, on things that I had wish I had known about clinical year. And I think I already, I mean, I kind of talked about the whole like, I think I, I wish I would have rationed that very last uh, financial aid disbursement a little bit better than I had. Uh, as I mentioned before, we, you graduate and if you get student loans, like it's three months and then you, like the last time you had a disbursement was three months before graduation. And then like that, and then that's it. And then you just graduate and normally you get another loan disbursement, but now you graduated. So like they don't have to pay you anymore. Um, so I maybe wish I would have been a little bit more resourceful with that very last um, disbursement, or you could say, you know, the entire clinical year, try to be as stingy as possible or live freely. And then your very last one, try to be super stingy, but I wish I had had a little leftover money, um, than what I left myself with. Um, but that's, that's it. Those are my thoughts for how to get through clinical year. You need to be the yes, ma'am or man, 
and you need to smile, be excited, be exciting, be interested, but watch your ego, learn from everyone around you, smile at everyone around you. You do not know who you might be turning to 12 months later for a job or a letter of recommendation. Um, and rekindle your love affair with your friends and family and significant others or pets. Um, everybody else is lonely, just like you are, especially if you're across state lines and are by yourself. Um, don't think, don't look at Facebook and Instagram and be like, well, they're so happy. They probably are happy in the moment, but maybe they go home and they're sad. Um, reach out and talk to people, try to save some money. And I forget what my other thing was. Um, anyway, that's my recap. And those are things that I wish I had known uh, before I had started a clinical year. So that'll do it for today's episode. Um, and this probably won't come as much of a surprise to you, but this podcast is probably winding down as in like, I don't know, may only have one more episode to go. Um, I don't, like when I get a PA job, maybe, and I can give you like my overall final thoughts of PA school. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I've kind of shared with you my thoughts on the PA journey as I was doing the journey. So um, I'm just not quite sure I've got much more to say because I'm, I'm done with PA school. And that's was the beauty of this podcast and that to my knowledge, nobody was an active student while they were having a podcast. Yeah, you can find a million on how to get into school and how you should write your essays. And then there was, there's a shit ton for like, like studying um, just kind of like medicine in general, um, and ton of like medical podcasts to like keep you updated um, and, and fewer for how to study for the boards. But um, I already shared with you, like the med geeks people were amazing. Um, so anyway, maybe we'll just talk like one more time and then, you know, we'll just like, I'll just like be somebody you used to know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I have always appreciated you listening. Um, and it's been so cool watching the numbers climb every week. And it's been even cooler to see all of the different countries that everybody is tuning in from like Germany. You guys are freaking killing it. Um, thank you so much. Um, and all the other places as well. You guys, I love you equally all, all. Um, so that's it. And thanks for tuning in. And I don't know, we'll chat probably in a month or so. All right. Bye-bye.